Welcome to another episode of Comedy Wham Presents with me, your host, Valerie, coming to you from the 2023 Just for Laughs Moon Tower Comedy Festival. My sometime co-hosts, Ms. Purrington and Mookie, are resting at home. ComedyWham.com is your place to go for features about all Austin comedy. In addition to podcasts, we bring you articles, album reviews, our advice column, Rochelle Takes on Comedy, a festivals page, an FPIA page where you can see the history of the contest, and you'll find all the best comedy shows on our events pages for Austin, Houston, and DFW. If you're a comic in those cities and want your show featured on the calendar, click Submit a Show at the top of our homepage to complete the short survey. Tag us on your Instagram stories and we'll share your show promo. Follow us on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and Facebook at Comedy Wham. Looking for ways to support all these resources we provide? You can donate to Comedy Wham on PayPal, Venmo, or even Patreon. Search for Comedy Wham on Patreon and check out our subscriber perks. Now let's get back to our podcast. Launched in 2016, the podcast project brings you funny people and their stories. As a fan, I like to delve into a comic's background and motivations and will usually take a detour along the way. Consider the interview a way for you to get to know the folks that make the comedy scene as fascinating offstage as it is on stage. If you like this podcast, please rate and review us. Today, we are recording by Zoom because our guest is a little busy with a weekly show that records in New York City. Uh, I know him as the young, fast-rising, George Strait t-shirt sporting Austin comic. Uh, while he was here, he was a 2017 and 2018 FPIA finalist at Cap City uh, before heading to New York. And you know him from his appearances on Comedy Central's Up Next, Goat, and his many digital shorts that kept us uh, entertained during the lockdown. He wrote for the Netflix show Big Mouth and Freeform's Everything's Trash. And every Saturday night, I love watching him make a big splash as one of the new feature players on the iconic Saturday Night Live. And now Comedy Wham presents, welcome back, our guest, Devin Walker, a.k.a. Swish Swish Shirty. My son's going to be so happy at that part. <laughs> that, that's for sure, us. Sure, million pounds, yeah. <laughs> for us, that was one of your standout sketches this year, so <laughs> we loved it. Thank you. I'm glad you guys liked it. It's so nice to get to chat with you, Devin. Uh, I, I, I wanted to tell you that I re-listened to our original podcast, which we recorded back oh, in... No. Oh, no. Yeah, I did. Uh, back in October of 2016, so many, many moons ago for, for your career. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I'm struck by is just how eloquent you were. And it's funny that, you know, you're just, you're, you portray goofball characters on TV for us now. And it's, you know, it's so great. Yeah. Uh, uh, you are Wikipedia famous now because you have a Wikipedia page. Yes. <laughs> and we, uh, in the course of my recent research on you, one of the things that's really, uh, you, you did our online show in 2020 when we were trying to provide, you know, Zoom online shows for, for people. And Richard Goodwin, who's the, the man behind the scenes of Comedy Wham, did all the technology. And he's credited on your Wikipedia page for the write-up of that original podcast episode. He's now 
gloating about how he's Wikipedia famous. The, hey, that's that's beautiful. I'm glad. You know, things things are going okay for me. Things are going okay for Richard. Everybody's everybody's on the way up. Yeah. So, uh, thank you for providing that for us. Of course. <laughs> um, since somebody might be just googling for uh, finding out who Devin Walker is, why don't you give us your your synopsis of how you got your start in comedy? P.S. You can listen to our original interview for the full story. But do you want to tell us about your start in comedy in Austin? Yeah. So, um, man, where do I where do I start? Uh, <laughs> honestly, what's that? Last clown was was prominent in in uh, in your history. <laughs> yeah, I mean, growing up, I definitely like. I definitely really like to make people laugh. That was definitely something that I like knew that I enjoyed doing. And I knew I was like a funny person. Uh, but like I grew and I grew up in Pflugerville, which is like right outside of Austin, which I'm sure most anyone who's uh, reading the article or listening to the podcast will know. But um, yeah, I grew up in Pflugerville. Um, and from there, like it just didn't really. It never really occurred to me growing up that I like could pursue comedy as a profession. Cause like, I don't know, in like suburban Texas, like nobody's in entertainment in any way. And so it had never even crossed my mind that I could try it truly. Like, it's not even, it's not even like I always wanted to do it. And they were like, well, nobody does that from here. It's just like, it didn't even occur to me. The, the thought never even crossed my mind. Cause the only people that I was aware of that ever did comedy was like, they were famous comedians, you know, they were like Chris Rock and DL Hughley and, you know, Bernie Mac, those were the people that I knew that did comedy. And I was like, well, I, yeah, it just, it just didn't, it didn't, it didn't occur to me. And one day I went to a festival and I remember it was the festival called a uh, oddball comedy festival that was, that was traveling through. And I remember seeing comics on stage who were like around my age, uh, who were really funny, who weren't famous. And for whatever reason, like that's the thing that made it click for me. I saw people who weren't big because I came to see the big headliners, the Hannibals and Sarah Silverman's and stuff like that. And seeing people who were around my age, who uh, were funny, who weren't famous for some reason, like that sparked it in my brain. I was like, oh, OK, like I can do that, too. Like there's no there's there, there felt like there was less of a barrier. Felt like you didn't have to be like a person with an HBO special uh, to perform. You just could like do it. What I didn't realize is that like those people that I saw, their the, the young people I saw that weren't famous, their careers were going really well at that time. Uh, I, I didn't realize that, you know, to be a person who's like, however old they were, they were probably 22, 23 years old, like I was, and uh, opening for, you know, Bill Burr or Hannibal or whatever, they were, they were doing really well. I didn't realize that at the time. But um, yeah, that's where it started. Um, and so I figured, okay, let me go, let me go try this. Let me go start it. Uh, and that was in 2014. And that led me to Googling like open mics uh, in Austin or like comedy clubs in Austin. And I saw the Cap City open mic, the Cap City, the old location, which I know you remember well. Oh yeah. Uh, off of 183. And I was just like, okay, well, like, let's, I got to go to the comedy club. I got to go to the comedy club and I got to start. 
And at this point I was working, I recently graduated from college and I was working at this like sales company. Um, I, I, that job didn't last very long. I was not good at it, but uh, yeah, I, I really didn't like that. And I'd started my first semester in grad school at, at St. Ed's. And so I was like, okay, let me, let me give this a shot. Let me try this new thing. And I tried it one week and I didn't tell anybody about it. It was a complete secret. Uh, and then I tried it another week, still didn't tell anybody about it. Uh, fun fact, at the first open mic I ever did, the first time I ever did comedy at Cap City, I met Andrew Dismukes. Oh, uh, no way. True story. True story. Wow. First open mic I ever did. Uh, I don't remember what he was talking about, but I remember him being really good. And he couldn't have been any older than like 18 or 19 years old. Um, and I remember being like, hey, does, has anybody ever told you that uh, you remind him of John Mulaney? And he was like, yeah, I guess. He really didn't like it. I remember that, I remember that really well. Uh, and I was so nervous. I went up and I don't know. I, 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 didn't, I didn't have much to say. I, I can't, I don't even really, I remember trying to do this bit about how people think I'm better at basketball than I am. But uh, it was, I was just telling these like long kind of meandering stories that like didn't have any point. Uh, and I, yeah, I went up one week. It was a secret. I was driving in from Kyle where I was living at the time. Uh, so it was like, I was driving like 40 minutes to go do this open mic. And yeah, was, was, was really not doing well. I remember I did it. I did it three times when I started that original time. And um yeah, was doing it in complete secrecy. And I remember the third time I'd noticed this trick that I saw some people do, which is that they would, um, if they weren't doing well, they would like kind of acknowledge that they weren't doing well. And sometimes that would get like some sympathy laughs. You know, people would go up and be like, oh man, this isn't going good. Y'all hate me, huh? And some people would be like, ha 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 ha. Yeah, you're having a rough set. And I remember I'd, I'd learned that. And so I did it and I was like, whew. This is going bad. And it just was met with silence as if <laughs> as if to have everybody be like, no, 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 we really don't like you, man. I we we don't even want to offer you any encouragement. Like we want you, we'd like oh. you to leave. That's how it felt. And and that one, the third time I did stand-up really spooked me for a while. And I didn't do it again for for some time. Cause like I said, at that point I was in grad school. Um you know, I was, I had a job and I was like, I was in kind of a new relationship at the time. And so I was like, look, let me just focus on that. I got stuff going on. Let me just do that. I don't need to be messing with stand up anymore. And then um, that next year, the summer of 2015, uh, the girl that I was dating moved away. So then we were doing long distance and uh, I had, I just had more time on my hands. And I remember her leaving and being like, okay, like maybe I like maybe I can give this a shot again. And then, yeah, summer 2015 when I came back, that's when when I came back. Why am I saying that? Like I made some like illustrious returns. Or <laughs> <laughs> fan, you know, fanfare. Yeah, exactly. The much fanfare and adulation. Uh, I returned, and <laughs> yeah, that 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 next time when I came back, then it then it stuck. Then I kind of got the bug, and uh, I've been at it ever since. Yeah, and from from that time period to 2018, when you moved to New York, like you made you made an, a really prominent name for yourself. Um, mm -hmm. Between the first time I saw you was 
at Piranha, which was a, a really creative show uh, hosted by Matt Bearden at Moon Tower Comedy Festival. So, you know, you come back to two, in 2015 and by the next spring, you're on Moon Tower Comedy Festival. So you had already been noticed by the Moon Tower folks. And then by the following year, you're, you're in the finals of the Funniest Person in Austin contest. And you were just really, really solid in such a short period of time. Yeah, that's uh, thank you. That's nice yeah. to hear. I mean, and it definitely, I think like a lot of people, when you start out doing stand-up, like once, I remember the first joke that I told that worked. And once I had that, then it was like, I was, I was addicted. Like I was hooked. And that happened, I don't know, maybe a month or two into me doing stand-up, I did my first joke. And I was like, oh, that's a joke. Like I did, I did a joke. I told it. And uh, yeah, I think I really was just like, if I wasn't doing stuff for school, I was like putting all my time into like being good at stand-up. And when you start, it's such a nice, it's beautiful. It's beautiful <laughs> when you first start because it's like, you're not jaded at all yet. You don't have any like, every single thing that happens is awesome. You, like, you know, telling a new joke is awesome. There were shows, Dismukes and uh, Andrew Clarkston used to run this show called Shortle Portal. And I used to, I remember like Shortle Portal, it was in the, it was in this like, crummy basement in this in this college uh co-op apartment building and there was a time where like that that was my goal my goal was to get chortle portal because that made me because they had cool lineups and i was like that'll make me feel like i'm part of the scene if i can get on chortle portal and i remember when i got asked to do it i was like wow like i'm an austin comic (laughs) like i'm i'm really doing it you know so like I, i try to remind myself you know Obviously, like things are things are a little different now. Things are further along, but whenever I get upset about something that happens, like oh, like man, I didn't get that movie, or like I thought I was gonna get a part on that show. Whenever that stuff is the stuff that I'm upset about, I try to remind myself of like oh, it, I used to just want to do Chortle Portal. I used to just want to be in that basement. Yeah. Look, look at how far we've we've come from there. So, right, um, yeah, and Moon Tower. When I got asked to do that, that's the first festival show that I ever got to do. Amazing. Amazing. It all comes, it all comes full circle. Yeah. Yeah. And now you're coming back for it. Mm-hmm. Well, so after essentially three, basically three full years, right. Of, of being, you know, mm-hmm. a, a solid Austin comic, you decided to part ways with us mm-hmm. and head to New York. Yeah. Um, what what was your your thinking for that or was there something already lined up for you there or were you just making that move because pre-pandemic you know Austin wasn't what Austin is today and you either go to New York or you go to LA if you want to keep pushing forward I mean it was it was definitely that there was definitely you know the the big impetus for me moving was in 2017 when I did up next uh when that happened, I was, I felt so lucky to get that, you know, from Austin. Cause it's like, I mean, usually in Austin, usually like one or two people will get some kind of recognition like that every year, or at least this is, that's how it used to be when in my version of the scene, obviously like it's, you know, in the, 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 the post, the post Rogan uh, version of Austin is, is, is different, but 
when I was there, it was like every year, like one person would get JFL and maybe one person would get like Comedy Central comics to watch or something like that. And so that's kind of what everything wrote on. You kind of had to hope that you were one of the two people that got something like that. And I remember when I got it, I was, it was like me and every other person who was on, com- like up, up next was like either from New York or LA, like living in New York or LA. And I remember being like, oh, like I, that's where everything's going on. I got, you know, things lined up for me in a, in a, in a nice way to like, to, to get me here. But like, if I really want to like do it, I think I got to leave. And yeah. so that was 2017 and I gave myself a year. And I was like, okay, in the next, by around this time next year, next summer, I need to be like planning my exit. And um, you know, what's funny is like, it keeps, we keep talking about these like full circle moments. You know, what's funny is I'd planned to move to LA because that's, that's the more typical move or it was at the time for like people from the Austin scene. A lot of them were, were moving to L.A. Vanessa had gone out there. Maggie had gone out there. Um, Daniel Webb had gone out there. Danny Palumbo. Like, a lot of people had yeah. gone out west. You know, it's a more it's more similar. You know, L.A. is more similar to Austin than, than New York is. Uh, but I remember going. Uh, Donald Glover was hosting SNL, and I really wanted to go. It was Donald Glover doing double duty. And oh. I really wanted to go see that. And I hit up. Dismukes, and he let me come watch. And I remember having such a nice time in New York uh, during that trip, during that visit, uh, that I was like, oh, wait, actually, I- I'm not moving to LA. I'm going to do New York instead. And like that was, you know, so it's funny, like the weekend that I came to visit SNL was kind of the weekend that convinced me to move to New York in the first place. And it's, uh, it's, it's crazy how these things like work yeah, out. That really is like full circle. Truly. Uh, wow. Okay, so you've obviously stayed longer than a year. You've been there five years. Yeah, it'll be five years in. Uh, it'll be five years in August. You, you uh, dealt with a pandemic in the middle of that. Uh, yeah. In the process, all of that stuff that you were doing with Comedy Central, starting with the Up Next, and then landing uh, the digital shorts to keep people entertained during the, the mm-hmm. pandemic. I mean, that was. That was pretty cool. And, and part of me wants, wants to know, you know, you, you're obviously a, a disciplined and goal-oriented person just by the fact that you completed graduate school mm-hmm. and, and you know how to set goals and accomplish them for yourself, but your persona is so chill and relaxed and, hey, you know, I'll just go with where the flow takes me. Um, how, how did you balance that? part of yourself that is super goal oriented with, you know, nobody has a a guidebook for how to have a comedy career, but I'm going to chase these, these comedy central folks and let, and have them give me these, these cool opportunities. Um, yeah, no, I think, I think I've always been an ambitious person. Uh, I think I've always really like, I, I don't know. I think I think about it this a lot where it's like my, you know, I think my dad really like achieved the American dream, you know, like my dad really like created a life for himself that was like 
like he, you know, he raised up out of the circumstances he grew up in to like give himself a better life. And I think I got to benefit from that, you know, but I mean, you know, we still were, we were very solidly middle-class family, uh, I would say. And I think on a certain level, I always felt like it was kind of my responsibility to like take that next step, you know, like to give whatever, like I have a, I have a niece and a nephew, you know, and I feel like I wanted to work to give them and like if I ever have kids to like give them what my dad gave me which was like a better better life and like more you know just more experience just more just more than I had and so I think that's a thing that's always driven me and like when I went to grad school like I think that came out of just wanting wanting to have more even though like I didn't like grad school like it's it's it sucked and like and I also didn't, I didn't want to do that. Like, you yeah. know, like everybody that I went to school with is like a management consultant now. And like, I, you know, I, I thought. You regret that, don't you? You regret, you regret that you didn't go down that path. Don't Every you? single day of my life, I wake up, I walk into 30 Rock and I'm like, oh, I could have been working at a consulting firm. <laughs> oh, why am I not working at the consulting firm? Um <laughs> But yeah, I don't know. To answer, to answer your question, I think I like have like a laid back demeanor, but I always, you know, I've always wanted to like make a good life for myself. And I think that's make a good life for myself and like, you know, the next generation that comes after me. So like, I, I think that's even, even before I knew I wanted to pursue comedy, like I always was like, I, I was, I was always ambitious. I think I just never knew like which direction to point that ambition in. And I think once I found comedy, then I was like, oh, like this is a thing that like I'm good at and I really enjoy. So like, you know, there's also, like you said, there's no like guide map. So I feel like that means you gotta, you gotta work harder and you gotta work even smarter than, than maybe you, you have to in other fields. One of the things that uh, I'm curious about, you you obviously got on enough people's radars that you were able to land a writing gig on Big Mouth and then Free Forms, Everything's Trash. And certainly with the people involved with those shows, you, you were getting attention uh, from some big names in comedy. I mean, Big Mouth alone, you, you look at the IMDb first four cast names first eight cast names, you know, these are really, really heavy hitters in comedy. So I want to start transitioning to the SNL discussion and ask, do you, were, was SNL on your radar or by the mere fact that you were getting these really prominent writing roles and getting attention from big comedy names, was it more that they, they came after you? I mean, I obviously don't know the whole management uh, system and you know maybe a, a manager said oh this is we're going to get you this this opportunity yeah you know I think one thing about one thing that's really consistent about SNL is it works in it works in mysterious ways <laughs> so you never quite know all the like machinations that are like going on behind the scenes yeah but I think for me it It's, it's, to me, it's always felt like kind of uh, the pinnacle, right? Like to me, it's always like, it's such a, it's such an institution. And I looked it up the other day, I forget what the exact number was, but it was like, there's only ever been like 
160 cast members on SNL, like in the history of the show. And so I knew that it had that and I'd had friends that worked there. And I feel like the longer the sirens going by, New York, baby. Yeah. Um, I felt like the longer I was around it, just through knowing Andrew, knowing my friend Gary, who writes in the show, knowing my friend Alex, I think the more it became a place that I that I wanted to be at, to be frank. Like, yeah. I think seeing that, there's just something to, I mean, and there's, I'd had other, like like you said, I'd worked on those shows. Uh, I worked on Everything's Trash. I worked on Big Mouth. And like, those were things that I was like proud to be a part of. But there's something about being associated with SNL that really says like, oh, like, you know, like this is like, I got the cosign. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like I got, it's, there's something about, I think, having like Lorne specifically pick you because you know, like everyone that he, you know, all the other people that he's seen something in, you know, like, yeah. it, like, even if, even if you're like, well, I'm not, I'm not that, you know, I'm not like, I'm not Chevy Chase, but the guy who picked Chevy Chase picked me too. Right. And that, you know, the guy who picked Tracy Morgan, the guy who picked Tina Fey, the guy who picked Will Ferrell, like the guy who saw those people and picked them, like picked me too. And like, there's something that's like really beautiful about that. Yeah. I mean, really talk, talk about a surreal moment. You, you talked about growing up and watching, um, you know, Chris Rock, mm -hmm. the guy who picked Chris Rock picked Devin Walker. I mean, yeah. That's, that's kind of mind blowing. Exactly. It's yeah. like that. It's that kind of thing. So, so I, I, I am a certified SNL junkie. I've been watching it, you know, since I was a young kid with my dad. Uh, I am currently up to two SNL podcasts that I listen to because I really am um, a, a serious junkie. So I get a lot of insights from, you know, what the audition process was like for different people. One of my favorite ones is, is the um, fly on the wall mm -hmm. the one with David Spade David and Harvey. And Dana Carvey. And so they talk a lot about, you know, the audition process with their different guests. And I'm curious, was Devin Walker, was he, at, did he let himself get nervous during, during the audition? Uh, I mean, of course, of course, there's a lot of riding on it. Um, and was it the true, true, the, everything that I've ever heard and pictured that, you know, Lauren is off in a shadowy corner, you don't even see him and it's, you're just, you're just doing your thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, so for me, and I know different people have different experiences, but for me, yeah. I did, I did, I did two auditions. Okay. Um, I did one at a comedy venue. I did one at this place called Asylum uh, in, in New York, which is in Chelsea, which is a really good room. It, it's, it, it felt nice to perform there because I, I'd played that room before. Um, and especially when it's full, it's like a really well-built room for comedy. Huh. And um, yeah, I did the first one there. It was, it was a packed show. It was in front of like a normal audience. So like in that way, it was a little nerve wracking just because like there were high stakes. But at the same time, I was like, I've done this before. I've done this a million, I've performed in front of a big room of people. Like I got that. And so like on a certain level, like there was a, 
there, there, that, there was something calming about that. Uh, the second one, let's say, let's say my first audition was on Monday. It's just, I, I, don't, I don't remember the exact day, but let's say it was on Monday. I think the next audition was on, it was on either, I think Wednesday. Oh. Yeah, and so then they're like, hey, uh, they want you to come to 30 Rock. And that's the one that you're referring to, uh, where you, you come in, they probably, I think I, they, they had me get there maybe four. And I think I went up at probably nine. Oh yeah, that's that's the whole thing they talk about on the podcast is how notorious the. I don't know if it's a I mean, it's probably a Lauren thing that you're just kept waiting, and that's part of the endurance process. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so I think there was, I think there was sixteen or eighteen of us uh -huh. that they brought into to that portion, and I was thirteenth. Oh. I was, I was 13th, so, like, I had to wait for everybody to go. But, the, you know, the, the tough part about it, too, though, is if everybody had to stay there. So, like, if you went first, you had to be there until the 18th person, the 16th person finished. So, like, we were all just – you're just in there. You're just in there with your thoughts. Yeah. You know, and you're not – you know, it's 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 scary. It's scary. Uh, and, yeah, I sat in there for a long time. Fortunately um, – I had, a, I had a friend who didn't end up getting the show, but she was in a um, she was in a dressing room near mine, so we were able to just kind of sit down and like talk to each other and kind and make it less stressful than it than it maybe would have been otherwise. But then I remember at one point they came to get me, and they brought me down, and they kind of tell you they're like, "Hey, just so you know, nobody's gonna laugh." When you when you go in there, like don't expect any laughter. Don't let that trip you up. Just keep going. Just perform. You do five minutes, and um, you walk onto the stage, the same stage that uh, they do the monologues on. It's at home base. You like wow. walk up there. There's a camera. Cameras staring you down, and then yeah, kind of like like those guys have described. There's just people kind of off in the shadows, uh, and I don't, I know other, other people looked at them. I was like, I'm not looking at them. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not looking at them. Cause I can't, I don't want to deal with whatever their reactions are good or bad. Yeah. And I remember I, I was performing kind of to the seats. There's like seats up above and uh, there was nobody in them, but I was acting as though there, there was an audience up there and I was just playing to the seats up there and like talking. And I remember doing my, doing my bits, doing my five minutes. And I remember getting laughs, like the laughs were coming, the laughs were coming where the laughs were supposed to be. Huh. And that once I got, especially once I got that first one, like a lot of, I mean, I was, I was still nervous, but like it helped bring the nerves down and yeah, that, that, but that is, that is a, that was an ex extraordinarily nerve wracking moment. There's just uh yeah, there's just, there's so much writing on it and you, have no idea how it's gonna go and uh yeah and fortunately it went all right how long did you end up waiting between that second audition to when you find out that you're because we all the public gets to find out in usually late august mm -hmm. when did you find out uh 
I remember maybe like it was maybe like a week after that that I like got the news because you get the news before the general public, but then you have to keep it. You have to keep it quiet. You're like not supposed to tell anybody. And um, yeah, I remember. I remember getting the news and I just kind of freaking out a little bit. Yeah. You can't even tell mom and dad. Uh, you're not supposed to. <laughs> okay. Oh yeah. This is being recorded. Yeah. No, clearly you did not tell mom and dad. Yeah. You're not supposed, you're not supposed to tell mom and dad, but <laughs> no, I called my mom. I definitely, I called my mom. I mean, this is big. <laughs> I called my mom, but you know, ma mainly they just want to be the ones to announce it. Right. right, right. But, um, yeah, I remember, I remember coming out of there and being like, oh, wow, I like, I think I got the job. And um, I don't know, I went and like got a drink by myself and just kind of re reflected on it. It was, yeah. it was, it was really insane. Yeah, I mean, when I, when I saw your name on the list, I'm like, oh my gosh, we've got, well, I know that there's a, a comic who writes for the Weekend Update who spent some time in Austin. So technically three Austin people uh, maybe more since you know more of the behind the scenes, but it's like, oh man, Austin is big. I'm thinking Casey Sharnima. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, Casey and I weren't, we weren't around the, in Austin at the same time, but I knew that she had come from being there. So I, we've, we've, we've gotten cool since she's been here. Yeah. And of course, everybody was ecstatic that, that Andrew was on it. Um, the, the, pro okay. the prodigy. <laughs> yeah, right. The full circle experience. Um, so one of the, the nerdy questions that I want to ask you is, do you get a say in what your little uh, opening uh, credits uh, imagery is? No. no? Okay. Because I want to know, what's with the red balloon? No, 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 no. I don't know. Look, <laughs> I, I don't know about everybody else. I know the people who just got to the show certainly did not get any uh, create creative control over uh, that that decision. They just kind of were like, hey, we're thinking we're going to do a thing with balloons with you. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they're not asking. <laughs> they're, like, they're like, your thing's balloons. And you're like, all right, my thing's balloons. Sounds good. Do, do any of the other friends and family say that when your name pops up, they all yell your name? Uh, yeah. I mean, I definitely, there's definitely family members of mine who yeah. uh, were not watching the show who now watch religiously, which is, which is, which is cool. Yeah. Um, my, my parents don't miss an episode. You know, my brother doesn't miss an episode. So, uh, yeah, it definitely... <laughs> You know, I got, I, you know, the, I, I, I at least brought the show uh, four new fans, and I don't know how many people could say that. <laughs> okay, so let's let's do a little rapid fire. What's the favorite, your favorite sketch that you've written so far? Um, I wrote this. Let me see. My favorite thing that I've written, I wrote. Uh, with my friends Gary and Alex and Will Steven, we wrote this thing called Hot Girl Hospital for the Megan Thee Stallion episode. Uh -huh. um, that one was really fun. Uh, I also wrote with uh, Dan Bulla and uh, Asha Ward, we wrote this uh, sketch that ended up getting cut. Uh, what is that? 
I wrote the sketch that ended up getting cut for the Michael B. Jordan episode, but they did put it out on YouTube where we were uh, Baptist preachers. We were Baptist pastors who were clearly stealing money from the church. And like, that's the first thing that I wrote that like, that, that was like, that was like like primarily like my idea that got to to dress. So like that, I was really excited to have that happen because, you know, when you first get there, you're really, you know, all of us, especially all of us are stand up. So you're learning how to write sketch, yeah. you know, and, you know, we're also just like, you know, you're, you're swimming upstream. You're trying to learn a lot of stuff. So like yeah. Yeah, getting, getting to get a sketch that far, like really, it felt really good. What's the favorite sketch that you've performed in? Uh, I think, I think, I guess I'd probably have two. I think uh, there was one that Che and Rosebud wrote that was like an HIV commercial. Oh my God. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's on my, like my top four. <laughs> yeah. Where it was like, the, yeah, the premise is basically that uh, I'm, it's me, Marcelo and Mikey, and we're all in a commercial for uh, HIV and my character for, for an HIV medication. Uh, and my character uh, keeps break, he keeps breaking uh, and ad-libbing his lines just to be like, hey, just so you know, like, I'm not gay though. Like nothing, not that there's anything wrong with, but like, I'm, I'm not, and I just want people to know that. And that's, <laughs> that one was really, really fun. Cause that was, you know, that was, that was the first time that, it, that I really got to like, kind of be front and center in a, in a sketch. Yeah. Uh, and that was really cool. And then also I, I got to do a small impression in, uh, they did this sketch called Keenan and Kelly for the, um, uh, which for the Kiki Palmer episode. Okay. And I got to pop in and do a small impression as Kel and they recreated the whole Keenan right. and Kel That's set. Right. And like, that was one of the coolest moments. Just, I mean, I'm always in awe of like working with Keenan. He was such a big, um you know inspiration for me like as a kid and like if you look at my instagram profile picture it's an old picture of keenan from when he was on all that mm. uh he used to play this character called pierre escargot uh who sat in a bathtub with a rubber ducky and just like said like had made up nonsense like french uh like sayings yeah and uh so i don't know yeah keenan and kel the show and Keenan and Kel, like the people were huge for me. So like getting to be in a sketch with them was definitely one of my favorite moments. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, one of the things that we talked about when you and I podcasted back in 2016, uh, it's, it's almost cringeworthy to look back on because, you know, it just said a lot about the Austin comedy scene at the time. It's better, but it's not necessarily great. But we literally named off all of the black comics that were. <laughs> yeah, I believe it. <laughs> and I'm bringing this up because that's one of the things that I, and I don't know if it's a, a conscious thing, but I think that SNL has done a much, much better job of, you know, being a far more diverse place, more than just, you know, the white improv performer is is who you you tap for to be on SNL the fact that there's so many stand-ups the fact that there are so many people of color now on the cast you have the non-binary 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 you know I'm thinking about that million <laughs> Millie sketch 
non-binary with mo with Molly. Um, it's you know, uh, do you think that that's, that was a conscious decision on their part, or just you know, finally society catching up with you know, there's really talented people out there, and they don't all have to be white. You know, I don't know. That's it's tough. Like I said, I mean, I guess let's suffice to say is uh, I have not made privy to to any real decision making <laughs> conversations. <laughs> You're so, yeah. So I, I don't. I don't know. I, I couldn't. I couldn't answer it because those those choices are above my pay grade. Yeah. So you probably don't necessarily even have insight onto this is the 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 pocket that we want Devin to play in as as part of the ensemble cast. I mean, it's it's I think it's I think it's tough to know all the time because I think we especially as like new sketch performers are like figuring we're figuring out like what our pockets are. You know what I mean? Like it's, and it's cool to see it. I think you can see it with like all the new folks where like, as the year goes on, you can see them trying new accents. You're like, oh, like, you know, Michael has an impression that like, I didn't know he had, or like Molly, Molly can sing in a way that like, I didn't know that they could. Uh, and like me with the, with the, uh, with the British Raptors, with Millie Powell's and Shirty, that really just came from like me and, and Jadge, James Austin Johnson. Uh, just kind of like messing around. We were just kind of messing around. And like, I like British rap a lot. I'm like a genuine fan. And I always, I've always just thought that they're just kind of uh, funny. Cause it's like, I, cause I'm sure the the hood in London is like menacing and, and I'm sure it goes down over there, but like something about like a British guy saying it always makes me be like, oh, like, oh. And so we were kind of just making up like, nonsensical British raps. And uh, that's what that was like born yeah. out of. So, so that's, so I guess, I, guess, I guess all this to say like, I'm, I'm still learning what I do. And I, yeah. think, I think we all are. And it's like, it's, it's cool to like, see that as time goes on. Yeah. Uh, do you let yourself think about the fact that if you get promoted to, you know, there's no sure thing on, on SNL, but if you get promoted to cast member in the, the typical two-year time frame that you would be a full cast member on the 50th season? Yeah, I've definitely, I've, I've thought about it. That was, yeah. I mean, I think um, it'd, be, it'd be really beautiful to like get to be a part of that. I mean, it's already, it's, it's so cool to like be a part of the show in general, but like to get to be there for like that moment in particular, I think would be, yeah. you know, fingers crossed. I, I'd, I'd love to be a part of it. I mean, I, I've I've seen the evolution over the season, and you know, layperson comic fan here who's a lifelong watcher of SNL thinks you know this is going to happen. So, <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. okay, now I'm going to get nerdy again about SNL. We yeah. religiously watched the end credits, and I have dubbed you the social butterfly of the stage because reliably. You are, you know, walking around the stage, talking to people. You're always up front, you know, getting that attention. The introvert who always wants attention, you're always up front. Don't ever change that. Mm -hmm. But it's so funny to observe. Compared to your best friend, Andrew, always in the back right corner. 
always. <laughs> Andrew, Andrew likes to tuck himself away. He does. <laughs> yeah. Is that natural for you? I mean, from all of the adrenaline of the show, you know, you, you kind of just want to move around probably. Uh, you know what it really is? You know why I'm moving around so much during good nights? It's because you, it's hard to find, it's hard to really find a lot of stuff to talk about mm. in those, in those moments. And so the conversations are like really brief. It's always, you're just leaning into somebody and being like, Hey, good job on that one sketch. And they'll be like, Oh, oh, thank you. They'll be like, either thank you or they'll be like, Oh, and you killed it with that. Like, Oh, good impression. Oh, good. Like I liked your line from that. And then you know, you're not having like a lot of real conversations. So it, it's, it's very snappy. So like your conversation with somebody could be over in like 10 seconds. And then I don't know if you've ever seen this, but there will be moments where your conversation ends with someone and you're like, I gotta, shit, I gotta find somebody else to talk to. And then you're like, look, cause you don't want to just be like, one, you don't want to just be like looking around out there. And so I think, I think that's what, what, what's, what's playing as a, being a social butterfly, I think is actually kind of anxiety. It's kind of just like, I don't want to look, I don't want to look like I don't have anybody to talk to out here. So yeah. What's, uh, what's the greatest reaction that you've had to somebody when you tell them, Hey, I, I'm, I'm working on, on SNL. If, if there've been like, you know, a ostrich head in the sand and don't realize this, what's the funnest reaction you've gotten? It was literally, I think it was literally last night. Uh -huh. <laughs> I think it was literally last night I was taking an Uber to my apartment and here's like, and people who live here know this, but like people who don't, maybe don't, maybe might not know this, but like uh, New York city Uber drivers don't talk to you mm. typically. Like they're silent. Uh, if anything, a good majority of the time they're on the phone, just having, a, just having a full conversation that happens all the time. Uh, this guy was being really chatty for some reason and pretty quickly probably two minutes into the ride was just like hey man so like what do you do like what kind of line, line of work are you in and i don't really like to usually when people ask me what i do i'll try to say something vague like i work in tv because mm -hmm. i don't necessarily want to do the whole snl conversation all the yeah. time uh it's because it really can be a whole thing sure. uh, but then sometimes people pry and they'll keep asking questions. And then I was like, oh, like I work on, this, I work on this TV show called Saturday Night Live. And it was like this like Russian man. And he was like, I don't know what that is. Like, <laughs> he had no idea what that was. And so I was like, oh, it's sketch comedy. And then he very much was just, he was like straight, like straight up, like unironically was like, can I be on it? Like, <laughs> he's just like, you should have me on the show. I do voices, I do characters, I do accents. And then he proceeded to like try like five different voices, some of which I'm gonna be honest, were uh, culturally insensitive at best. Um, he had a Chris Tucker impression. Uh, yeah, which not one that people are bringing out that often. Yeah. Chris Tucker, uh, he had one that was just Spanish guy. He was really, uh, he was kind of auditioning for me in the car and then was like very sincerely like, take my number down. I should be on the show. If you, he was like, I speak five languages. I can do anything. Uh, he was like, if you, <laughs> he said this, he said this verbatim, this like big bald Russian guy. 
He said, if you need me to play a terrorist, I will. (laughs) (laughs) So Yeah, that's good. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's probably the best. I mean, that happened literally last night. That's probably the best interaction I've had. It was pretty awesome. Uh, Devin, you probably have some friends still here in Austin. What do you think about the, the uh, what's happened to the Austin comedy scene since the since the pandemic? Look, here's what I'll say. <laughs> here's what I'll say. I'm. I feel like I have I have to be partial to the scene as it was. You know what I'm saying? Like in in you know I'm also like from there, and so I think. Everybody who's, uh, Andrew Clarkson, who used to be an Austin comic, used to have a bit about how everybody in Austin is always saying that, like everybody's always talking about how it used to be the best when they were young there. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, if you talk to somebody who's in their like fifties, they're probably talking about how like the nineties, like that was, that was like the time to be here. And if you talk to somebody who's in their thirties, they're all like, oh man, like 2011, South by Southwest, like I saw, you know, I saw, I saw um, Lupe Fiasco at a Chuck E. Cheese. (laughs) Like it's all like everybody's got this memory of like, well, when I used to be there, that's when it used to be good. And, and I'm no different. I'm no different. I, I am certainly partial to the scene uh, from, from when I was there. I, I think it was, it, it it felt like small and connected yeah. in a way that I thought was really awesome. And it was, it all, it more or less all felt like one scene that was kind of unified and like everybody knew everybody. And as, as I am, I mean, again, I haven't like been consistently doing comedy in Austin in five years almost, but the, the, the version of the scene as I understand it is there's like several different scenes within the scene. You wanna know something that was crazy that that happened uh, last time I was there? I co-hosted uh, my old show, Buzzkill at the Buzzman. I co-hosted it because now it's hosted by Carlton Wilcoxon and Angelina Martin. Uh, Carlton was out of town. And so I came back and co-hosted with Angelina. And that was a really fun moment. But after the show, some people came up and they were like, hey, like, you know, we uh, basically they were like, we moved here like a year or so ago. And uh, we heard that this was a good show to check out if we wanted to see what the old Austin comedy scene looked like. And I was like, yo, get the hell out. Like that, that, that thing specifically made me be like, I'm glad I'm gone. I'm I'm glad I'm gone because I think whatever this like podcast movement that's like come to the city has now like almost built a scene on top of the scene yeah. that used to exist. And I don't know what the, I, you know, you might have, you have to ask somebody who's like, who was around when I was around and is still in Austin, but like, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't like it. I don't care for, I don't like that. There's like, you know, yeah. <laughs> that, that that's my take is uh, this is my time to be an old man and to be like, uh, it was, it was, it was better back in my day, but like, I don't know. That's that is how I feel. Aren't you 32? Come on, you're not that old. 32. I just turned 32. I feel, you know, I feel, I feel uh what's 
I'm, a, I'm just, I'm, I'm opinionated about the past in a different kind of way. You yeah. know, the, old, the older you get, the more nostalgic you get. And I'm definitely like, I, yeah. I genuinely felt like the, the stretch of time that I was like in the Austin comedy scene. Like when I was there, I was like, oh, I think we're going to look back on this as like a special time to have been here. I it was think. a magical time for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, and this, this isn't me looking at, I don't think this is me looking at the past with rose tinting glasses. Like, I, I really do think like, you know, you see again, like Vanessa Gonzalez, you see everything she's doing, you know, and I've always been like one of her biggest fans. Um, I always knew just Mukes was going to be somebody. Like, I just, I've just always thought he was like exceptionally talented. Daniel Webb was there. Um, there were just, you know, Mar Martin Urbano was there, uh, who's, you know, I, there, there's, there were just people there that I was like, oh, I think there's like a special level of talent here, especially for like a small scene. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, I know your time is precious. We're going we're gonna to start winding down. I'm, like, I'm not going to ask you a whole bunch more questions, but I do want to do some uh, uh, checking off a list of things that you said during your original podcast with me. Yikes. Okay. So one of the things that uh, I asked you was what was your goal? And you said, I want comedy to be my job. So check Mark on that one. You did it. Uh, with your end goal being to dictate your own future. Um, one thing that uh, I asked you about what you learned about Austin comedy is I think I've learned to never get comfortable. I think you're still doing that. I mean, you're challenging yourself doing, you're, you're in this massive learning curve uh, mm -hmm. this year. Um, and you made a really, this is why at the very beginning I said, when I re-listened to realize how articulate and thoughtful you were, one of the things that you said is, if you look at a successful comedian, they're, they're never satisfied. Anyone that attains a level of success is just never satisfied. So, you know, I kind of see that in you that you're, you're going to be pushing yourself. Wow. Um, I'm going to be honest. I was nervous when you said, let's bring up some stuff you said from 2016. <laughs> I was really, I was like, what the hell was I talking about? I was also, at that point, I was like a year into stand-up. And a person a person who's a year into stand-up is, is generally insufferable, I would say. Um, and Yeah, you're right. But that's what's really struck me is like, I could have I been listening to a podcast that you could have recorded like this year after, you know, all of the media training that you probably get about this is what you're, you should say and not say and... And the other thing that I didn't say that you did is you did a lot of name dropping, not in a negative way, but just as in a, you know, lifting up other names in the comedy scene that, that, uh, you know, you wanted other people to make sure they knew about. And that's actually the very first one-on-one -on -one conversation that I had with you, or maybe it was after I ran into you at fallout theater and maybe we had just podcasted and you told me, if you really want to talk to somebody interesting, talk to Enzo Priesnitz because he was standing right there. And, you know, who would have known I interviewed him? He's this massive welder, just really cool thing. And then the following year, he, he wins FPIA. So just, yes, you were very articulate then and continue to be articulate, although now you're very silly, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man, okay. shout, out, shout out to Enzo. Still to this day, the most interesting man I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, now we're going to look into the crystal ball, and we only have a year of, of sketches under your belt or characters or things you've written. 
but let's look into the future. You're, you're doing movies, you're doing big time specials, you're doing your own TV shows, and you get invited to host SNL. What is the character or sketch concept that you're going to ask the writers to write with you? <laughs> to bring oh, back? I don't know. I mean, look, as, as, of, as of today, I think... I, I mean, I think it'd have to be Millie Pounds and Shardy. Those are the only guys that I've like had that I feel like can come back potentially. So uh, yeah, and I do love them. I, I love those guys. So uh, yeah, as of as of today, it'd have to be my British rap boys. Okay, awesome. All right, we're gonna. I'm gonna ask you some rapid fire silly questions. Okay, one of the things that keeps coming up now that you're you know global sensation Devin Walker on SNL these comparisons to you and Pete Davidson. Mm -hmm. Has he contacted you? He has not contacted me. I, I, I would imagine, I would imagine Pete's a very busy man. He, he seems <laughs> like there's a lot going on. It's like, no, he's, he's, he's not reached out to me. That, that moment hasn't happened yet. Uh, I met him once before I ever worked on the show, like kind of briefly in passing. Uh, but, and, and so like, I, I knew about this comparison. People have been making this comparison pretty much since I moved to New York. But uh, it is, as you can imagine, it's ramped up in a in a in a huge way, and yeah. uh, so I don't know. Maybe 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 one day we'll we'll address it. Important follow up: Have any of his ex girlfriends contacted you? <laughs> Man, no. That's you know he's he's really. I, I don't know what he was doing that I'm not, but that's the, that the, the pop stars have not started reaching out quite yet. <laughs> Okay. Do you regret not pursuing that career in organizational development? We already talked about that one. That's a no, no right? Not in, not in the slightest. I think I would have, I would have been miserable doing that. Uh, you have always been fashionable in a kind of an understated way. Um, I, the GQ hype article just came out, and I just have to ask you, how cool was it to get to wear like these super high-end clothes? I mean, that's being in GQ specifically was like really like a dream come true. I've kind of always wanted to do that. Mm. You know, hopefully, hopefully one day, hopefully one day I'll get to be this guy. I'll get to be on the cover. That'll be, that'd be tight. That'd be another dream. But like getting to be in it at all was, was really awesome. Um, yeah. And I love, yeah, I love clothes. And so like they come with like a, a big ass closet of just like, yeah, super expensive designer clothes that are all in your size. So Really a dream come true. I really just, yeah, that was that was the best. I had a, I had a blast with it. Still a Spurs fan? Of course, of course. Yo, San Antonio, the San Antonio Spurs do not have like a figure. You know what I'm saying? Like the, the Lakers have Jack Nicholson. The Raptors have Drake. Um, you know, so cer certain places are like they become known for like these. The San Antonio Spurs do not have one. I think I need to be better about this because like, I don't think the general public knows that I'm a Spurs fan. I don't like post about it on the internet or anything like that. San Antonio, if you're reading this, I've been a fan since 1999 when I was a child and we won the championship. I let's, let's do something. I got I need to get the word out to the, to the Spurs people because they don't have a guy and I want to be him for the, for the Spurs. I want this with my whole heart. This is a big, this is a big ambition of mine. I want to become the, they've never had it. I want to be the guy associated with the San Antonio Spurs. 
if I could play a very small part in making that happen for you, Devin, I would be very happy to do that. I can just drive down to the to the arena. Please do. Yeah, if, you, if you've got any contacts down there, I'd, I'd, I'd love that. All right, big heavy hitting question that I'll close out on. Do you consider yourself a Texan or a New Yorker? I'll be a Texan until the day that I die. <laughs> I'll be a Texan for the rest of my life. Um, you know, what's funny about that is like, you know, I, I grew up, I obviously grew up in Texas and, you know, I like naturally te Texans have a lot of pride. Texans have a lot of pride in being from Texas. When I was growing up, I always thought it was lame. When I was growing up, I really, you know, kids were getting like Texas tattoos on their 18th birthday. And I was just like, stop, chill. Like, what, like, what are you, what are you doing? Like, this is lame. And now since being in, in New York, being, you ask any, if you ask any of my friends here, they'll tell you being from Texas is like one of the major points of my personality here. Ah. I talk about it all the time. Not only, and it's, this worked out. I also, I bought a little Texas pendant that I like wear on my necklace sometimes. It is like, it's a, it's a main point of my personality. And I do, I have a, I have a love for New York, but I'll be, I'll be a Texan for the rest of my, I mean, they shot Friday Night Lights at my high school. How am I going to not, how am I going to not rep right. Texas forever? <laughs> one of the things that I always do in my podcast is I ask my guests one word to describe their past. In 2016, yours was exploration. And then one word to describe your future. And back then, your word, optimistic. Do you want to revisit either of those? Uh, yeah. I mean, wow. I'm proud of my 2016 self. I feel like you're picking the, 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 the positive aspects of what I was saying. I feel like you're going back and picking, like, the things that I wouldn't be embarrassed by. Maybe I'll listen back to, to hear the embarrassing chunks. But, uh... The, 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 the version of me that you're painting, I'm a fan of. Um, yeah, I think, are you asking me to pick, to pick two for right now? No, I'm just saying, do you want to revisit either of those? Do you want to change them? Or you, do you still feel that way about your past and that way about your future? For my future, I still do feel optimistic. Um, you know, no, no. Yeah, I still do feel really optimistic because I don't know, like no matter what happens, the, the, the thing that's a trip about working on a show like SNL is that like you're learning how to do a brand new thing really publicly. You know, you're learning how to do a brand new thing and there's millions of people watching you learn. Yeah. And you have to you have to see people's opinions about you and what you're doing in, in real time. And it used to like bug me out. It used to kind of used to bother me. But now when I think about it, I'm like, man, no matter what happens, like maybe that's maybe that's the word for my past now. Like I'm really I'm proud of myself. You know, like I'm really. Yeah, I feel I feel a good, a, a great sense of pride in like. My like journey and the fact that I like stuck to this like really weird, messed up like career fields. Um, yeah. And for the future, like, yeah, I mean, I, I do feel really similar to what I said in 2016. Like, I do feel optimistic and I do just want to keep trying stuff that I'm not sure if I'm good at. And, you know, uh, like, SNL is definitely a place where you try things that you're not sure about. Uh, that, that happens, like, week after week after week. And, like, I want to keep 
chasing that because I think that's where all the like most interesting work happens. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if if our, if your life could be like captured in a high school yearbook type of scenario and you had to do your senior quote, I'm going to tell you one of the best things that you said in 2016 was where you're at is never where you want to be. Is that deep? Is that deep? Can I say that? You said Can I that? say that? You said that. Can you believe it? Whoa. I mean, Whoa. I think I was more profound as a 25-year-old <laughs> than I am as a 32-year-old. That's nuts. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. No, was, I, can't, I can't talk. I don't think, I think I'm dumber now. I think I'm dumber and less interesting than I was as a, as a youth. Wow. You're really, wow. I'm proud of myself. You know, you're, you're absolutely right that listening to old interviews, sometimes it's really cringeworthy. This one was like solid. This was like, I don't think I cringed at anything. I would have said it. I would have said, remember when you said this? Ooh, cringe. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's your, that's your senior quote. That's right there. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll take it. I, I like that. <laughs> All right. Anything else you want to talk about? I know we're running low on time. No, I feel, if you feel good, I feel good. I'm feeling great. So uh, that is a wrap on Comedy Wham presents Devin Walker. Tell us, uh, tell us where we can find you. I mean, it's not hard. <laughs> you know, hey, you follow, follow, follow me on Instagram at Internet Devin if if you so choose. Um, yeah, do 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 that if you'd like. Uh, watch me on the show. Leave positive comments. All right, say nice stuff. If you're gonna at me, especially, say something nice. All right, don't at me to be. Just be nice to me, man. I'm, 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 I'm a chill person. That's what I'd like to say to the general public. Don't be mean to me. I'm, I'm doing my best. Yeah, you've entered this such a different stratosphere where hate is just common currency. And people, please be convinced after listening to this episode that Devin is a truly nice and genuine guy, and he he deserves the positive comments. So. Mm -hmm. We hope you've enjoyed learning about how Devin got to be the comedic genius that you heard today just as oh. much as I have. This has been Comedy Wham Presents Devin Walker. I'm Valerie, and that's been funny. Thank you so much, Devin. Yeah, thanks for having me, though.